Welcome to the Real Answers Podcast. Today we're going to talk about money, 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 and how much is really enough. We're going to talk about some ways of sustaining growth, reaching your goals, but knowing where the line is. With me today, Chris Zizza, president of CNR Flooring out of Boston. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me today. You know, we got our notes in front of us, and it's kind of cool. You know, that's what it says, money, money, money. And uh, how much is enough? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. We need more. But um, you know what, guys? How about, you know, how much is enough? Well, the obvious answer is never enough. But what about when we're out of money? Probably, I can tell you I identify with being out of money more than I can identify with having too much. And uh, over the 33 years, there were those moments. And if, if not for faith in God and Jesus, I didn't think I'd get through some of them. Uh, and I'm not making that up. So here's one thing. Uh, we're going to get into a bunch of different things right here. But I'd like to, if I were going to give one takeaway about money and I wanted it to hit home, here's where I was going to start with. Oh, over the few podcasts that we've been when doing, and you've heard me talk about, you know, building a company, taking it national, selling it in year 2000, having a spinoff company in 2004, uh, buying the original company back in 2009 and buying the spinoff back in 2010. And uh, here's what I can tell you. In all of those transactions, you can better believe there was money involved. And that growth period for me from 2000 to say somewhere around 2006, uh, I learned so much. Uh, personal thank you to Kevin McCafferty of um, New England Capital Partners who bought CNR Flooring in 2000 and taught me a lot. Uh, also, John Van, Van Millwork, who walked me through those first months of learning how to read financial pages. And here's what I want to tell you guys, the one takeaway about money. So back in 2010, when I bought the spinoff company, Dust's Floor Sanding, they came to me uh, and said, listen, we're not going to continue. The idea of Dust's Floor Sanding was to take it to a franchise level. And I can guarantee in 2008, 2009, franchising wasn't paramount. It just wasn't happening. It was a downturned economy. We all know that. And so... They were like, Chris, do you want the, you know, do you want dustless? And uh, my 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 initial answer was, you know, I'm kind of done writing checks, and you know, I don't have the capital for it either. It's a downturned economy. And their answer was, uh, well, I'm not going to give it to you, but you can have it for one and a half percent of deposits. That was the deal for five years. One and a half percent of deposits for five years. And I thought to myself, that's that's not even a credit card fee. But um, okay. Because Dustus was doing about, I think, around nine fifty, almost a million dollars a year. Hey, for one and a half percent of the deposits over the next five years, I'm gonna pick up a million dollars in business. I'll do the deal. And I went back to the office and I told Cheryl, my vice president, uh, what the deal was. And I said, "Look, I don't know what somebody like Kevin McCafferty, who, who's so successful uh, and and really a genius, in, in my opinion, when it comes to money management and building businesses and buying and selling companies." I was really surprised at what was his interest in one and a half percent of deposits. Well, first tells you what a classy guy Kevin is. He said one and a half percent of deposits because he didn't want me to pay on bad debt. So if a comp if somebody didn't pay their bill, Kevin didn't get one and a half percent of sales because if we didn't get paid, he wasn't getting paid. So he's always been a gentleman like that. Um, 
So I said to Cheryl, look, if we're paying Kevin one and a half percent, well, I want to make sure we pay me one and a half percent. So every Friday we had to take all the deposits of the week and take one and a half percent and, and send that to New England Capital Partners. And then I took one and a half percent and we put it in a money market account that we were managing on our own. And do you know what? After a year and a half, we bought our building. We didn't pay cash for it, but we had enough for the deposit. Actually, we had a pretty fair amount of money. And at the end of the five years, I'd actually given Kevin pretty damn close to a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. So we started this thing at CNR Flooring that I've affectionately called self-funding. And so I don't care how big your company is. Listen to me right now, guys. This is what I want you to do. Uh, if you're a small company, you could probably do 3 to 5%. If you're a really big company, well, you might want to bring it down a little lower and maybe you're going to do 1.5%. Maybe you're going to do 3%. I encourage you to do 3. We do 3. So here's how it works. Everybody, every time you get a check, take 3% or whatever your percentage is going to be and put it in a money market account. Uh, somebody comes into the store and they buy a cleaner for $35, take 3%. You know, you can do it weekly, you can do it daily. I don't encourage you to do it monthly because the money not, might not be there. Um, we all know, you know, cash flow, money in, money out, money in, money out. That's why you got to take the one and a half percent or the three percent, whatever your number is going to be immediately. That money's going to build up for you. Trust me. I promise you're going to love me for this. I love myself about it. So here's how it works. All of a sudden you've got money. And, you know, you've been running your company for 10 years, 15 years, five years, and you're always struggling, you know, borrowing the material money to pay payroll. And then you owe this guy. It, we know the drill, guys. So let's take the percentage. Let's put it aside. And the next time you're going to be short on money, let's say I got 150000 in the street, you know, through my builders, my homeowners, and that money didn't come in this week, but I got to make payroll. Payroll, let's just hypothetical numbers, 15 grand. I take it out of my money market account. I make payroll. I'm not stressing. And the first 15 that comes in from accounts receivable goes back into the money market account. And you self-fund yourself for the rest of your career. I have a friend in Ohio who has been doing this since I told him about it. Uh, he does a little over uh, 10, $12 million a year, and he does 10%. And I mean, we got together for beers recently. We went fishing together. He's a good friend. And he's like, Hey man, I, I thank you so much for that advice. I wouldn't have thought of it. This is not genius, but here's the, here's the rub. And here's the lesson. If you run a company and it's a successful business, well, I damn well hope it has at least a 3% net profit to the bottom line. If it isn't, what we said earlier on one of the podcasts, you don't own a business, you own a job. Well, I own a business, folks, and I'm taking 3% to the bottom line. I'm taking it first. So let's take our profit first. Let's put it aside into a bank account and let's self-fund ourselves and let that money add up. Um, it's going to make you stronger and you're going to have a better company in the long run. So that's my most important message about money, money, money. And I didn't want to screw that part up. So we started with that. And now we'll segue into a few other things um, that I think you need to pay attention to. So anyway, we got, we got our, what I thought my most important point was uh, across, which is uh, about saving money and a method to do it. And uh, 
I promise you guys, if you're diligent about that, it's going to work for you. Uh, we did it for years and then we kind of fell away from it. Uh, and now we just recently got back on it um, because I said to the office, hey, why aren't we doing that anymore? I promise you, uh, you can never be too careful with your money. So um, let's put that money aside. Uh, moving forward into things like, you know, raises and bonuses and programs like that. Here's one piece of advice, and it may be obvious, but these are the things we forget when we own a business and we're trying to build a business. You guys are always going to ask for raises, and they probably deserve them sometimes. So when you give them a raise, you have to remember every now and then to look back on how many raises you maybe gave out, and you got to think about raising your prices. Because with every raise you give, you're dipping into your profit, into your bottom line. Um Again, guys, this goes back to being a professional and thinking real. Uh, you have to think like a businessman. I'm not saying don't give raises because they deserve raises, but so does your company. So pay attention to, you know, do you need to raise your prices? Take a look. Has your vendor raised their prices? And when they did, did you raise yours? What's the national average for gasoline right now? Several years ago, when RV sales dropped almost to the absolute toilet because gas prices had hit in some areas of the country $4 a foot, uh, $4 a gallon. And do you know that if you bought an RV, uh, they were giving away $5,000 and $8,000 and $10,000 prepaid gas cards with the RV because people weren't buying RVs because of the gas prices. So here's my question. Think back when gas was at four bucks or high threes. Did you raise your prices? My distributor did. We got fuel surcharges. Surcharges everywhere. They were everywhere. Um, why? Oh, yeah. And, and we paid the surcharge because they were a real business, right? Did you raise your prices? If you didn't, then this is a lesson for you to think about owning a real company and making real business decisions. Uh, and nothing I ever say is meant to sound condescending. So it's nothing but advice, guys. Um, I have to constantly remind myself to be a better professional, and I'm just trying to help you do that too. So that's an example. When your costs go up, your customers' costs have to go up too. Doesn't have to be crazy math, you know? And think about this you can have higher pricing for homeowners and lower pricing for builders. That's not bad because it's the balance of profit over the year that gets you your sales. So maybe your builder pays a little less, maybe the homeowner pays a little more, and in the end, you're still running a company that has a decent profit margin, which should be, you know, I'd like to suggest that you have a gross profit margin of better than 35, 40%. If you're always watching your gross profit and you're hanging around 35, 40, 42, you're probably running a pretty good company and you got your costs under control. And uh, it's not easy in a podcast to get into the details of that. Um, but there are classes out there that teach you about gross profit and costs analysis. And, you know, look it up. I think there's an opportunity to talk a little bit about specific, specifically the product and margins on product. So do you look at, do you put the same margins on wood as you do on finish? Or your labor, is your labor, does, does there more labor on sand and finish than there is install do you fantastic question i know where you're going with this and and i love the way you just asked that uh because i wouldn't have thought of it this way but so we did the garbage bag test which we talked mm -hmm. about on a previous podcast right and 
So we know how much a foot it costs to sand and finish a floor. And um, I'm going to back the water base out of that equation. And I know that um, it's around 41 cents a foot for our costs on a thousand feet with stain. And we put a profit margin on that 41 cents. And then we use that as our hard cost while we're creating our cost that we're going to charge the customer. Gotcha. So, but let me be clear. We charge a decent margin, you know, tight margin for builders. Um, I had an advisor many years ago who told me you never, never tell anyone what your margin is. It's business. I'm going to break the rule right now because I want you guys uh, to be better companies. So I would tell you this. Let's operate on what I would call a tight margin, and let's just talk a second about what would be a healthy margin. Tight margin is going to be 20%. If you bought the flooring for $350 a foot, okay, and you're going to resell it to a builder on a tight margin, so $350 a foot, and this is margin, not markup. So that means 20% margin is $350 divided by 0.8. And that's 437 and a half. So 437. I might go 435. I might go 439. You know, play with the numbers a little bit. I might suck it up and punch it one more time because I know the builder's really price conscious. And I might go 429. That means I'm now, I just dipped below 20% margin. Don't ever go below that and don't ever feel guilty for it. Okay. Now, if that were a homeowner, and I sold that product to them and I bought it at 350. I'm gonna divide that by 0.6 and I'm at 583. I would call that 585 or 599. And that's roughly a 40% margin. Now, the builder's gonna come back for more business. And I'm not saying gouge the homeowner because you're not. 40% margin is a comfortable retail margin. And that's what you should be selling on. A homeowner. I don't want to say it doesn't have the right because it doesn't sound right, but you need to sell at the right margin if you're going to be a professional company and stay in business for the, for the years and offer the right warranties. And all these things happen. When you sell to a builder at 20% margin, let's not forget, you're also hiding behind his warranty and his legal team. He's Which are also it. traditionally getting more than one home in the building process as opposed to consumer either getting one. Exactly my point. I mean, if I go and I buy, um, my wife goes shopping at Ann Taylor's store and she pays full retail for a suit. And then I go to the Ann Taylor loft and she, she buys it at a discount rate. Or if she goes to TJ Maxx, it's even a, you know, a discount store. It's at a lower rate. All of these margin, they all play in. So every industry has levels of sales. But what I want you to understand is you'd never go below a certain level. And I personally would tell you, that if you love them and they're great people and you feel bad for them, fine. Sell it at 0.85 margin and 15%. And if they don't want it after that, here's the secret. Let them buy the wood. Charge your proper labor numbers. Don't have what's called cost of capital. If you buy it at 350 and you sell it at 399, you didn't make shit, guys. And Here's the problem with that. You put out 350. 
You got a lot of money out for a little bit of profit. That's not a way to run a business. So sometimes when it's all about number, just sell the labor side. Don't get tied up in the margin and don't get tied up in the material and move forward. It's it's not a bad business practice, but you also don't want to run a labor-only company because that material margin sometimes what pays the electricity bill. That's what keeps the lights on, that, that extra coming in. Um, when you buy a product for less and sell it for more, that profit is what helps you build a business because there's not a labor cost attached to it. And these are some of the things you need to think about, guys, when we're talking about money. So when you manage this internally, are you, are you managing your margin per job? Is that how you look at margin or are you looking at what you buy and what you sell and looking at the margin on a whole product area? Great question. So internally, you know, sometimes people go into the showroom and my staff is selling the job or my salesman, uh, he's out measuring. If he's doing a sand and finish estimate, it's already in our computer. You know, we use QuickBooks and the pricing's already set. SFE is the code for a sand and finish existing floors and cost is right there. Uh, 485 a square foot for three coats of oil base. That's us. It's not a secret. You know, if you wanted to know, you're going to call my office and ask, and they're going to quote you over the phone anyway. But a builder, we don't charge 485. We charge a builder 350. And all our costs are already figured out. So we know what the margin is in that side of the, of the equation. When it comes to selling product, uh, if you walk into the retail location, well, the retail location has retail costs. So the margins are higher. Um, every now and then we, you know, I run a discount house in another city um, that we own and um, people will call in. It's just material. We don't do labor. And yeah, there are plenty of calls that come in and, you know, we let it out the door at 15 points because it's only a phone call. We tried to build it up on margin. The truth is it hasn't been the most successful run and because we're beating the margin down, you know, so Guys, it's not a game. It, it's a real equation. And the sooner you understand it, the sooner you can look a customer sincerely in the face and say, this is the cost. And I have a phrase that I always say to some people when they ask me about the math. Or, hey, can you do a better price? I almost, I hate that when they ask. But, you know, I almost always give a discount because our prices are correct. It's not that there's that much room. But sometimes you have a consumer in front of you, it's a good job. And, you know, they're just that kind of a person. They want that discount. So maybe you give them five off. We give we give 7% off, by the way. If you're a school teacher, you get a 7% discount. It's automatic. Okay? Want to know why? Well, one, I think teachers are underappreciated. Uh, two, byproduct. Here, you know, here, here's the byproduct of the decision. It's one of the largest unions out there the teacher's union. When you give a teacher a discount, they jump on their little teacher network, which isn't so little, and they tell everybody about you. Like, hey, did you know that this company, CNR Flooring, gives discount for teachers? And you get another teacher and another teacher, and it leads to another job. So we discount for teachers. We discount for veterans, um, police, and fire. Standard stuff. I also give a little bit of a break to first home buyers and kids that are just getting married. You know, I went and did an estimate one time for this guy. He looked right at me. I did his mother-in-law's house. They were quite wealthy. And he goes, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he goes, look, I can't afford you. You're only here because my mother-in-law said you guys do great work, but we barely got this house. 
maybe one day I will be able to afford you, but right now I just, I, I want to apologize for wasting your time. But it, you know, she thinks we need to do the whole house and I'm not taking her money. I'm, I'm starting this family. This is her and I on our, you know, we're on our way. I had so much respect for that guy. I did the job for next to cost. I, I go, buddy, I guarantee you can afford that we can do this job. And you know what? He was so happy. And yeah, we didn't make a lot of money, but I'm definitely going to be doing that guy's upgrade house. I didn't lose right. any money. So a little bit of lesson. You got to monitor your people, you know, your customers. You know, the other thing out there, guys, when you talk about, you know, tight margin and, and comfortable margin, if you will, uh, every job is different. You're going to look at some jobs and you're going to say, I really want that job, but maybe that job, you know, that customer might be a little difficult. And and we all know I'm being polite right now. I had a customer one time asked me, can you do the job for less? And I actually really did want the job. So I discounted it. And then he said, really, that's the best you can do? And I said to him, I go, you know what? Let me put it to you this way. I really wanted this job. I still want the job. But if I go any lower, I don't really have a lot of interest in doing this project because I don't need any more practice in hardwood floors. It's clear to me you want us to do the job. and But any lower, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm almost paying for it. And the guy was like, I can respect that. So there is a way to talk about price and not back your customer in a corner. Right. You know, and I've, I've actually used that go-to line several times, you know, any lower and it's at a level that I don't really have interest in the project. It's a nice project, but there are other guys with, that don't have my overhead that they'll probably do a decent job too. you know, maybe give them a shot, use my estimate as a boilerplate if you want, because they might make a couple of mistakes. I don't know, but you can create that fear in right. your customer. Don't give away your quality. You know, I saw something on Facebook the other day, and it was um, the amount of money I charged you for the task that took 30 minutes to do, and you were uncomfortable with paying it. You didn't pay me for the 30 minutes. You paid me for the 15 years it, it took to learn to do it in 30 minutes. Don't sell yourself short on, on your level of knowledge. Excellent. Well, that, that concludes our money, money, money focus. And hopefully that'll help everybody put a little more money in their pocket, and a little more profitability into their company. So thanks for being with us, Chris, and uh, see you next time.